You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. <clears throat> and because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Zvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking to our learning self and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, or, or you can send your comments and questions to our webpage at letstalktorah.net. That's letstalktorah.net. You can find my donate button there. You can help the show grow. You can help us take care of this amazing studio and the people that work with us and help us spread the show. Um, you can even ask for a shout out, a happy birthday, an anniversary, a memory of someone, whatever works, or you can keep it anonymous. Whatever works for you, it is all greatly appreciated. So I have to tell you, um, on the way to the studio today, so I'm driving down. It's called 696, just a regular highway. Just got to get on, get off, get up to 11 Mile. And I had to call a cousin whose mother recently passed away. And I'm, I, we finished talking, hang up. And as usual, when I like to drive, um, I spaced out and went right past the street. Now, we all have ways. And it happens to be that now the law in Michigan is about to change. And everything has to be um, hands-free. So I'm practicing. And you know, I didn't feel like putting my ways on. I mean, I basically know where the studio is. I come here all the time. It's true. You know, when you if you get off the exit and you hang a left and you go up to 11 Mile, hang another left, very simple. Here, though, I, I, you know, you got to go a few miles out of the way. And you got to make a turnaround. And I assumed that when I was going to make the turnaround, the same streets would have an exit. And as if I'm going east, I get off in this Campbell Hilton. So I figured when I come back, I'll have the same exit on the way back. Well, that exit doesn't exist. Has another name. Who knows what the streets, I should get a map or, or Google Maps, not, not Google Maps, like Google Earth to see what everything looks like. And it was... Whatever. The streets were twisty-turny, but you know, in the good old days, we had no problem going ahead and uh, figuring it out. You drove. You remembered. You understood where you were going. You had a clue where you were going. You had some sense of direction, and, and you drove, and that's what I did today. I loved it, even though everything was backwards. Because I was coming from the wrong direction, and, and, but I basically knew where I was going, right? But the point is, we live nowadays, I don't know about you people, but I know I almost live in my ways. I have to go across town. I have to go just to the next neighborhood, and I can't find something without ways. That's ridiculous. Why don't we know where we're going? We need to know, just have a feeling. You don't must always use your phone to go around the corner, you, you don't learn where you're going. You're, if the electric turns off, you're lost forever, right? Like, why does it have to be that way? Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up 
is because I think that's a great intro into this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is shlach. Shlach means to send, but it's, um, it's about the spies. The Jewish people had left Mount Sinai. We'd already gotten the Torah. We'd been in the desert for a little over a year. And the Jewish people feel that, uh, yeah, what's true, we're traveling to Israel and God is, is leading the way. We're going to go into Israel. We're going to conquer the land. And it's, yeah, it's beautiful, flow of milk and honey. Yeah, yeah. But everybody sends spies, right? Everyone says spies. So, um, so the, the question becomes, like, why is Moses letting? And that's question number one, right? God says he's taking us, he's going to lead the way, everything's going to go smooth, very good. So what are the spies for? It's not like we're warriors. It's not like we're, our generals are making plans how to attack. And not only that, if the general wants to send a spy, okay, generals need to know different things, when how to set up their army, where the army should go, and where they should attack, and where it's weak, and where it's fortified. That's very good if you're a, a general, right, or a king, Who's leading the charge? But the can you imagine? All right, let's think about this for a second. Can you imagine that you're a foot soldier, you're a tank driver, you are a, a pilot, you are a a gunner. You pick whatever part of the army you like, and you and your buddies decide that you know we need to get some spies to check out where we're attacking. The general will look at you like you're out of your mind. Your commanding officer will look at you like you're out of your mind. You are a common soldier. You don't get to dictate to the to the to the generals, whatever you want to call the upper echelon of the army. You don't get to dictate that you think you need spies. First of all, if we needed spies, we would have taken care of it already. And it, you just follow directions. I mean, the whole idea of an army. And when people go into the army and they say they become, you know, a person and they learn to follow directions and they learn to, to, to be, uh, as we say, a mensch, right? You don't get to question. The whole idea of an army is they, many armies, they actually break the person down. They train the person to follow directions immediately. No questions asked. You cannot ask questions if you're a soldier. Then, then you won't follow directions. You just do what you're told. You don't ask. You don't suggest, you just follow directions. Obviously, somebody who's been through the ranks as he moves along, of course, they get to start asking questions and, and ideas and how things should be done. Of course, we understand that's what happens. But the regular soldier, why exactly are the Jewish people busy sending spies? Right? This is really something um, that you have to think about. And maybe over this show, perhaps in the next show, as we as we dive into this idea of spies and what's going on, maybe we'll get a better idea. So first thing we need to think about is that Moses sends the spies, we'll see in the beginning of the Torah portion, he sends them with instructions, very clear instructions, because that's what spies are supposed to do, right? Spies are given instructions what they're looking for, what they're not looking for, where they should be going, and then come back with the message. Now, the spies are going to go. So what happens? So Moses takes one 
spy, one person per tribe. And they were all rights at the beginning. Um, the only ones that will remain, the only ones that will remain righteous is actually Joshua, Yoshua. He's the student of Moses. He's a tribe of Ephraim and Kalev, who happens to be Moses' brother-in-law, because he marries, obviously, Moses' sister, Miriam. So those two will remain righteous. The rest of them will not. And even that we have to try to figure out, like, why is this happening? So they go, these 12 spies go. Now, part of the problem we're going to see is they go with the wrong attitude. Words, even if they left righteous, but the, the, the rabbis explain, in the desert, we were living a very high spiritual level. We're getting, as we talked last week, we're getting the manna, we're getting the bread from heaven every day. We got water supplies, we're in the clouds. We have no cares and concerns. We just get to study God's Torah. We get to live a spiritual life. And that is going to change. Right? That is clearly going to change once we go into the land of Israel. So first of all, these people, these spies, they like the, li the living that they had. Right? Why do we want to go from totally spiritual to become a bunch of farmers? So now, once you, know, once you have a an agenda, right, you can't be a spy. You, 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 you're going to automatically... Uh, come up with your own conclusion, which is not the job of a spy, by the way. Right? The job of a spy is not to come to a conclusion. The job of a spy is to report what he sees. You are not the analyst. You're just the eyes. You're like the video camera. This is what I saw. End of story. If the, the analysts want to ask some questions, they, uh, certainly they could. But they're not asking you for your opinion. Your job as a spy is not to give an opinion. And Moses told them, check out the land. Is it good? Is it not good? Do they live in fortified cities? Do they live in open cities? If they live in fortified cities, it means they're scared of armies. If they live in open cities, they're not scared of armies. Do they, do they have righteous people there that could be some type of protection for them? Moses has them go through the through the south first, where the land is not as good, heading up towards the north, where the land is better. Right, what kind of fruit do you want to tell me? Is it flowing milk and honey? Give me the lay of the land. The problem was they come back and they give a bad report. Now, at first, all they said was what they saw. Yeah, it's flowing milk and honey, and it's a, the fruits is humongous, and they brought back the fruit with them, and it, was, it, was, it took eight people to carry a cluster of grapes and then pomegranates and I think either dates or figs. And they had to, that was the report. Now, again, part of the conversation has to be, if you're a spy, so who do you report to? You don't report to the common soldier. That's ridiculous. You don't report. Who does this spy report to? To the general or to the general's assistant. Whoever he is tasked, whoever's in charge of the spy unit, he takes the reports and he'll bring it to the, to the general. He'll bring it to the king. You don't get to walk around the Jewish people and say what you saw. You don't get to say you were scared because there were giants there. 
And you certainly don't get to say that, oh, they're way stronger than God. There's no way we'll win the battle. But that's what they did. So not only do they not go to Moses, they bring the report to the entire Jewish nation, which is obviously ridiculous because, I mean, again, we did start out this way. The Jewish people sent them. And as the Jewish people went to Moses and said, we want spies, so Moses agrees, which we have to talk about also why Moses would agree. But that's a confusion. It's almost a confusion in leadership, right? But it's not Moses' fault. We're going to see Moses really just sent them to appease the people. It's like when you buy something. So you, you want to buy a car. I would like to test drive it. Go right ahead. Can I take it to a mechanic? Go right ahead. Can I hold on to it for a week? Go right ahead. Right? If, I, if I give in to everything you ask for, you're not going to be so concerned that there's something wrong. As soon as I say, no, you could, you could look into the car window. You, you can't sit in the front seat. You cannot turn on the ignition. You cannot look under the hood. You cannot take it home, and you certainly can't take it to your own mechanic. I, I'm, I'm out of here, right? If you're not letting me test drive the car, I have definitely what to worry about. If you let me do everything, then uh, clearly you're not concerned, and I shouldn't be concerned. So Moses has to say, yeah, go ahead. Moses has to let the people do, you know, he has to show that, that, when, that God's not concerned that you're going to see something you don't like. Right? God's not concerned, you shouldn't be concerned. But the people push for it, so Moses has to appease them, and uh, Moses will send the spies. But the problem is that these spies, are, for the most part, there's like three things happening. Number one, what's happening is that they didn't want to lose this amazing spirituality. Number two, which we didn't mention before, these spies were all leaders. Not top leaders, but they were leaders. They were each what was called a judge over 50. That meant there was, it was like having a small synagogue with 50 people that are your congregants. Meaning they, they were in charge. They had a, a small level of leadership. They were in charge of 50 people. But they knew, and I'm not sure how they knew, but they understood once we go into the land of Israel, this leadership over 50 is done. Either someone else is getting it or it's not necessary anymore. Whatever's going to be, they're losing that job. They're losing that position. And people are funny that way. People like when they have a position. No matter what the position is, your position could be that you take the garbage out. But you have a position. And they're going to lose that position. Nobody likes to lose a position. So again, a second reason why I, I may not be so happy to relinquish, to give up on my position of leadership when we go into the land of Israel. So then I, that's the second problem why I may not be so interested in coming back with a good report. And the third problem, and that's what I really wanted to get to today. The third problem is that God warns Moses. He says, if you go ahead you, and send spies, I'm going to let you send spies. I'm telling you it's a bad idea. It's a very bad idea to send spies. If you send spies, you're asking for trouble. I'm going to make this test massively hard. And they're going to 
I you can't. There's no guarantee on failing a test, obviously, but there's gonna. It's gonna be pretty easy for these spies to fail. Let's put it that way. And ten out of the twelve do fail, and they come back, and they. Part of the failure is instead of going to Moses, they go to the Jewish people, and and this is what we've been trying to bring out. They give their own analysis. They say, yeah, we were there, and there's giants and fortified cities and mighty warriors, and this place is too strong for God to conquer. Tell the Jewish people, what do you think is going to happen? You never tell the soldiers what the spies think. The spies don't know everything. And the spies are now saying that God is not going to be strong enough to to, uh, defeat the land of Israel, that's ridiculous. But the Jewish people were scared. And one of the things they say, it's what we're starting, that we started the show with. Um, oh, we're bringing us to Israel and we're going to get killed and what's going to be with our wife and children. So God says, you worried about going? You don't want to go? No problem. You don't have to go. You're going to all die in the desert. But your children, your children are going. So the ones you were worried about are the ones... They're going to end up in the land of Israel. Joshua and Kalev tried to stop them. They tried to argue with them. They tried to argue with the Jewish people. Said, don't worry about it. It's good. God's taking care of us. The land is amazing. And you have nothing to worry about. But the people failed this test. So, but the question I had that I've been thinking about is, is how... Did Joshua and Kalev pass the test? Right? For the most part, the whole Jewish nation fails. They had no right to ask for spies. They shouldn't have asked for spies. Moses just wanted to not let them think that there's anything to worry about. So he had to go along. And they were warned that God's going to make this test almost impossible. And sure enough, 10 out of the 12 fail. So how exactly did two of them survive? How did Kalev and Joshua manage to pass this test? This is what was troubling me. If it's such a hard test, then how'd they pass? And if it wasn't such a hard test, why the other 10 fail? So yes, we've been talking about reasons why the other 10 had, had preconceived notions and reasons why they didn't really want to go. They were going to come back with a bad report. I, I, I get all that. But I want to understand how did Kalev and Joshua pass the test? So the answer is actually straight there in the Torah portion. Torah says, after Moses um, picks the 12 spies, so he changes Joshua's name. In, in, in originally, his name was not Joshua. It would be really what a yud. It would be Yehoshua. Really, his name was Hosea. And Moses says to Hosea, who's his student, his number one student, he says, um, I am going to pray for you that God should protect you from the advice of the spies, which means that Moses understood already at this time that there was a major test coming up and it was going to be almost impossible to pass. Right? But, but, Joshua, but Moses said he had to send them. 
So he says, God, it's like it's a conjugation of the of the name. Right? He changed it to the God should save you from the advice of this vice. So the answer how Joshua survives is because Moses prayed for him. The answer, how is it possible for Joshua to pass the test? The answer is prayer, meaning that God puts people in positions all the time in life where, now we, we do pray that we shouldn't be tested, but the fact of the matter is we go through life and there's ups and downs and there's easier times and more difficult times and God takes care of us, and but we're tested. So how can I pass the test? I need help. If it's on the level that we're going to call it a test and it's not so easy to pass, it has to be possible for me to pass. It would be impossible for me to pass God's test. Why bother? Right? Uh, math is not, is not uh, my strong point. Um, if you gave me a test on calculus, you know, I, I couldn't even pretend to write answers. I couldn't even pretend. So why bother? So there's no point in giving me a test on something that I'm clueless with. But if you're telling me I'm not clueless and I can pass, but it's so hard, what do you want for my life? The answer is you need to recognize in this world, when I'm working to serve God, I got to ask God for help. And God is happy to help me. Right? And this is the point we got to hammer home in this week's Torah portion. That, of course, the spies were all going to have difficulty. If you want to pass, you're going to have to pray. Now you can ask, not fear. Why is Moses praying for Joshua over anybody else? Joshua has his own um, difficulty that he needs extra help. Why? Because Joshua already knows that to go into the land of Israel, Moses has to die, and he's taking over. The last thing Joshua wants is Moses should die. So Joshua has the greatest reason to say, Moses, I can't let you die. Uh, how can we lose our, our greatest leader? Better I should uh, put my head on the chopping block. We won't go into the land of Israel. That way Moses will live. So Joshua has his own reason more difficult than anybody else. So what's with Caliph? Good. So instead of Joshua on his own praying, Moses is going to pray for Joshua. Got it. What's with Caliph? So again, we find when the spies are in the land of Israel, Kalev makes his way to Hebron. What's in Hebron? In Hebron, that's where the forefathers are buried. So Kalev will go and pray. Kalev will go and pray by our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the mothers, right? Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, well, Rachel's not there, Leah, and uh, well, and also um, Adam and Eve, Adam and Chav are also there. So he will go pray by them and say, you got to help me out. I need help. How am I going to pass this test? So both Joshua and Kalev have the ability to survive the test because of prayer. So even when God's going to Stack the deck against me. It's going to make it really difficult. I could pass the test. I got to pray. However, I saw interesting enough. I saw interesting enough. Um, a second reason how Kalev was able to survive. And that was because he had a very special wife. He survives. And that's how they also answer, why is Moses only, only praying 
for Joshua because Kalev, he knew, um, had his own protection. His protection was his wife, even though she's not coming along for the ride. She doesn't have to come along for the ride. A a wife's uh, ability to protect her husband is even when he's not home. You know, it is interesting. If you've ever been by a Jewish wedding, you will see the kala, the bride, walks around her future husband seven times. The idea of walking around the husband seven times is to show, I am your city, I am your wall, I am your protection from all outside influences. Um, the Talmud tells the story when Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah was uh, offered the position that he should take over as the head rabbi. So he said, let me ask my wife. So he goes to his wife, and his wife says, eh, don't do it. It's a bad idea. And he tells his wife, no, it's, it's a good idea. I should do it. So he says, no, you're going to take the job. They're going to take it away from you right away. Like, don't bother. No, 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 it's worth having it. And what happens in the end? He does become the head rabbi, and within a few days, he loses the position. It's given back to the person who was taken away from. And as my son always likes to mention, as my son always likes to mention, by um, by uh, after a wedding, he'll tell people, he'll say, what's the lesson? The lesson is the husband asks his wife advice, his wife gives advice, the husband doesn't listen to the wife, and in the end, the wife is always right anyways. Right, so that's uh, his cute thing he likes to say by a wedding feast. He says, oh, by Shavah So, um, so, but again, so Kalev has this special wife. And here goes the music. So we will just have to end it right here. Thank you to the production team. We have Jenna with us today in the back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on Aaron's Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Oh